Did you know the Bible tells us exactly what to expect when we stand before the Lord? Well, in today's episode of Awaken to Grace, we're going to study the judgment seat of Christ. My name is Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're joining me for this edition of Awaken to Grace, because today we're in a thrilling study on the judgment seat of Christ. After I preached this sermon, a gentleman came up to me and said, you've answered a question I've had my entire life. If Christians cannot be saved by works, then why are we judged for the works we do? And he said, you answered the question Perfectly. Well, in today's broadcast, I have attempted to answer at least every question I have concerning what the Bible calls the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. This is a judgment for all believers. This is where Christ will evaluate our lives, and this is where he rewards believers. We're going to see today the judgment seat is not something Christians should fear, but rather something we should greatly anticipate because the Bible tells us exactly what to expect. I hope you enjoy today's broadcast, and I hope you'll check out my website, awakentograce.com. If you are someone that you value the gospel and you treasure the gospel and you want to spread it the way we desire to spread it, that sermons like this, biblical teachings like this will go far and wide, then I hope you'll pray about partnering with us. I hope you'll consider a one-time gift or join us monthly. Stand alongside of us. Visit our website, awakentograce.com. Click the link, Grace Givers, and join our community of people just like you who are passionate about spreading the gospel. I hope you enjoy today's sermon. I'm so happy to be back and... uh, We, you know, this pause, this great pause, I think a lot of good is coming out of it. I hope your family has slowed down a lot. I hope your family has realized what's really important in life. Do some of you feel like your families are richer through this slowdown? More time together, less time frantic, less time, uh, you know, running everywhere. And I think as a church, I think we've even reevaluated our own busyness and some things. And, and those of you who, you have your children here today, I just can't commend you enough. You know, when whatever little child it was that yelled out amen a few minutes ago, did that not warm your heart? Amen. Amen. And listen, I don't care if your kids are noisy today, if they get a little loud. Listen, it's not going to bother me. I get, I get a little loud, all right? You're not going to bother me one inch. Kudos to you for having your children here today and in God's house today. Amen? Amen. 
All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. I'm excited to share with you, as Pastor Bob said, I'm in a short two-week series, just this Sunday and next Sunday, called Eternity, What Are You Living For? And we're going to look at what the Bible teaches us, what awaits us in eternity. Now today, I hope that today is immensely encouraging to you because we're talking about the Bema, and I'll explain why it's called Bema, judgment seat of Christ. This is where all believers, all Christians will stand before the Lord in this judgment. Then we're going to look next week at the great white throne judgment, and I'll explain all of that, what the Bible says about it, what the words mean, and who will be there, for it will be unbelievers. And that's where the Lamb's book of life will be opened. And I, invite, I, I encourage you, invite people with you next Sunday, because I think the Lord is going to move mightily in people's hearts. Listen, people are listening to the gospel differently today. You know that? They're a lot more serious today than what they were. People sense. Can you not sense that the world has changed? An unbeliever sensed that as well. People are asking, is all this signs of the end times? You bet it is. You know, if you travel somewhere like Pastor Josh just said that they were in Nashville. You know, when you're traveling out on the interstate and you're on a long stretch of interstate, there's very few signs, right? There may be an exit sign or there may, maybe there'll be a speed limit or, or possibly a lodging or, you know, how they have those big blue signs with fuel and lodging and restaurant. But the, relatively, unless there's an exit, there's few signs. But when you come to a place like Nashville, when you come to a destination point, what do you begin to see everywhere? Signs. It may be construction signs, warning signs, it could be information signs, but as you get to a larger city, as you come to a destination point, what you see are the frequency of times. And what are you and I seeing on the earth today? What are we seeing happening around all of us? We're seeing a frequency in the signs of the times. And you and I, as believers, we ought to live for eternity. The things that we have just lived through with COVID-19, it ought to reshape our priorities. It ought to reshape our perception. And today's text will help do just that. It was said of Jonathan Edwards, the man who sparked the great awakening in America, in colonial America in the early 1700s, it was said of Jonathan Edwards that he had eternity stamped on his eye. You know what that meant? It meant everything he did, he viewed in light of eternity. Do you and I live that way? Let's explore it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. But first, notice verses 1 through 4. Verse 5, uh, I'm sorry, verse 10 is going to be our, our primary text. But notice verses 1 through 4. This is very important. When, when you look at what Paul's saying, he's saying... Where we live right now, where we live, Paul calls tents. See, Paul was a tent maker. He knew what he was talking about. Tents are not made to live in, right? They're temporary. And Paul says, this body with which we live is a tent. It's not our real home. How many of you are thankful for that? As a matter of fact, Paul says, while we're in this tent, we groan. Verse 9. We groan while we're in this tent, right? Any of you wake up 3 a.m., groan a little bit, 
right? These tents break down. Do they not? It's breaking down on me. These tents are not made to last forever. But Paul says, while we're in this tent, we groan, but one day we're going to replace this tent with a building. (laughs) He's speaking, 1 Corinthians 15, taking off mortality to put on immortality. He's talking about things that are temporal and things that are eternal. He's talking about this life versus eternal life. And then notice what he says in verse 9. He's going to say that while even in these tents we groan, but even while we're in these tents, he says our aim is to please the Lord. Now Paul is going to tell us who the target audience is here. This particular scripture, this is not written for unbelievers. This is written for believers. This is written for people who are serious about following Jesus. And Paul says, those of us who I'm writing to right now, I'm writing to people who are aiming to please the Lord. So I want to begin with that today. Are you the target audience that Paul's writing to? Is your aim to please the Lord in all things? Or is your aim ultimately to please yourself? Is your aim ultimately to please other people? Is your aim to please your employer? Is your aim to please your spouse? Ultimately, do you live for your children? Do you live for your nest egg? Do you live for that next vacation? Do you live for that next fill-in-the-blank, whatever you want to put? Or is your ultimate aim in life to please the Lord? If you get that right, you'll get verse 10 right. Notice what he says in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad, whether good or evil. Several things I want you to note today. If you're going to take notes, I encourage you to because you're going to learn a lot today, Lord willing. I'm going to try to answer a lot of questions that people have about the judgment seat of Christ. If you're going to take notes, <coughs> number one, the first phrase of verse 10. Let's, let's understand what Paul's saying. Number one, this judgment is for Christians only. Unbelievers will not be here. The judgment for unbelievers will cover next week. That's called the great white throne judgment. This judgment is called the Bema, and I'll explain that. It is the Bema judgment seat of Christ, and only Christians will be here. I'll explain to you where it happens. I'll explain to you when it happens, and I'll explain to you why, the purpose of it. But understand, first off, this future judgment, this day that we each are approaching, one day is closer, each day is closer to the day that you and I will stand before Jesus Christ and give account for our lives. And what will happen? The Bible tells us. But note number one, it's for Christians only. Paul says, we, he even includes himself. Paul is including himself here. We must all appear. And then Paul's going to shift from the plurality, we all, into the singular. Each one will receive what is due. Make no mistake, my friends, each of us, each believer 
each one of you that are born again, we will stand before Jesus Christ and we will appear before him as he evaluates our life. Notice the word must. What an important word here. We must all appear. You know, this is not something you can skip out on. This is not something that will be considered non-essential. How familiar are we with that term? This is not something you can sleep in that day. This is not something that you can just treat as casual and go, well, I think, you know, I think I'll pass on that. No, this is mandatory. Every believer will appear before the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We must, mandatory, all appear. I love this word appear. Listen to what it means. It means unveiled. It means nothing hidden. It literally means to turn inside out. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says that the Lord will bring a light to every motive. Nothing will be hidden. Everything will be exposed. Now, will we stand and give account for our sins? No. Remarkably, out of the sheer grace of God, you and I who are born again, we will never stand in judgment for the sins that we committed in this life. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain and he absorbed all punishment for our sins. You and I will never give an account for the sins of our past. We'll never give an account for the sins that we committed against a holy God. Why? Because Jesus Christ absorbed that. Jesus Christ paid our penalty. So when it says that we must all appear, what's, he, what's going to be turned inside out? What's unhidden? What, what is exposed? What is being brought to light? It's our motives. The way in which we lived. You know, as Christians, you and I will give a full account before the Lord for every opportunity we took advantage of and every opportunity that we squandered. You and I will give an account for every resource that came through our fingers, whether that was financial, whether that is our intellect, whether that is, whether that is our um, uh, mental capacities, whether it's our skill sets, whether it's our knowledge, whether it's our talents, all of the resources that God has entrusted to us, the health that he has given us, the abilities, the capabilities, you and I will give full account for how we presented those and used them for the kingdom of God or the lack thereof. That's what will be judged. That's what we will appear for when we are summoned before the throne of God. It's not sin. That's why there should be no fear. It's not sin we'll give an account for. It's what we did on this life. It's how we glorified God or the lack thereof. How we used our life or the lack thereof. That's what we will give account for. It's our motives that we'll give account for. You know, the Lord taught me a remarkable lesson when I was a young pastor. I started this church when I was a mere 20 years old. I didn't know anything. I was dumb as a box of rocks. I didn't know anything. I... I it's, it, it, it is a wonders. I'm sure, I'm sure sometimes God just shook his head. Oh, 
so many mistakes, so many, so many blunders. But let me tell you one thing the Lord helped me get right. One night I had planned an evangelistic night. It was about four or five months into our, to our church. We had about 10 people who attended our church. But this night was different. I had planned an evangelistic night that God had given me a vision for, and boy, I ran with it. You know, I'd done many of those in the past, but never with this new thing called Preaching Christ Church. And I had promoted it, and I thought I had done really good getting the word out, and I was very excited. We met in a banquet hall of the Kingsport Inn, which is no longer there, but when the Kingsport Inn was there, we met in their banquet hall. Well, everything was meticulous, and everything was on point, and everything was perfect. I had made display tables of our church where all the new people could get information about our church, and I was so proud of all my display tables, and I had set out extra chairs, I mean, from wall to wall. I just knew I could, I could see in my mind's eye the sea of people who were going to hear the gospel that night, and everything was perfect. And the service began at 7 o'clock that night. It was a Saturday night. And oh, I just knew, oh, it's going to be filled to capacity. And I went to the back. That's what prideful preachers usually do. And I waited. And I paced. And I prayed. And I didn't come out till about 10 after 7. Because again, that's what prideful preachers do. And I waited and I waited and I waited. And I just knew in my heart when I walked out. There'd be a sea of people. You know how many people were there? Three. Three. One of them was my mother. Does that even count? I mean, it counts, but I mean, it, you know, I'm not saying it don't count, but I mean, in reality, can you really count? I, the other one was my cousin. Does that really count? I mean, <laughs> and then a friend. Three people, three people, and my heart sank. What are you going to do, Roberts? You going to pull the plug? You going to tell them go home? You going to tell them go eat at La Coretta? Go have a good time? Go eat dinner? What are you going to do? You going to preach to three people, one of them being your mom, one of them being your cousin, and then a friend? You going to preach to three people? I went over to my precious display tables that no one would ever take anything off of unless my mom wanted something. <laughs> and I sulked. Any of you ever sulk on the Lord? Two of you, that's encouraging. <laughs> and I sulked. And I debated, what am I going to do? Am I going to shut it down? Am I going to pull the plug? What am I going to do? And you know what the Holy Spirit told me? Gently but firmly. Lovingly but pressingly. The Holy Spirit reminded me and said, Chad, one day you will stand before the Bema judgment seat. And you'll give full account for this night. And listen to what the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit said, and on that day, I'll never ask you, how many people were in the building. I'll never ask you what the offering amount was. What I will ask you is, did you preach the truth and did you preach it with all your heart? 
I resolved right then, I'm going to preach and I'm not going to back down. And I'm going to preach with all my might. And to my mom and my cousin and, their fr- and, the, and the friend, I'm telling you, I preach with all that I had. And all three of them got saved. No, I'm kidding. That didn't happen. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been so awesome. But anyway, but I learned then, I learned then, I'm not responsible for numbers. And I'm not responsible for results. What I'm responsible for is obedience, amen? And what I do with the opportunities that God gives me. So now I fast forward 20 years later, and now when I face a challenge, now when I face an impossibility, now when I face something like blindness, now I say, I'm not backing up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to press ahead, and I'm going to fulfill the call of God on my life. Why? Because I have opportunity to do what God calls me to do. So do you. Do you do it? Do you aim to please the Lord? Do you realize that every skill and every resource and every opportunity that God presents to you, you will give a full account for, and so will I. What's that going to look like? Let's explore. Number one, Christians will stand and give account. We, all of us, must, it's mandatory, appear every motive will be brought to light. Are you learning anything this morning? Let's keep going. What's the next phrase? Before the judgment seat of Christ. Now let's understand a little bit of this. You ready to learn a little bit? This Greek word, for judgment seat is actually bema, B-E-M-A. Some pronounce it bema. It's like tomato, tomato, whatever. I like to say bema. It is the B-E-M-A, the bema judgment seat of Christ. Now, what is a bema? In the Greek language, the original language of the Bible, at least the New Testament, the word bema simply means step up. That's what it means. It means a platform. This What I'm preaching from right now is a bema. This is a platform. Bemas were customary in three arenas in Paul's day. Number one, it was used in the military. A bema would have been used by a general. A general would stand up on a platform and call soldiers forth, and he would pin medals and awards upon them. Number two, it was used in the Olympic Games. Now, remember, Paul is writing to Corinth, and he lived 18 months in the city of Corinth. The Olympic Games were held a stone's throw from Corinth. Scholars think there's no doubt that Paul would have attended the Olympic Games. Number one, he was a sports fan. You can tell by the way he writes. Number two, he definitely would have went to sell his tents. Paul was a tent maker. What a great place to sell tents is at the Olympic Games. But number three, to share the precious gospel. No doubt Paul was sharing the gospel at the Olympic Games. And they used what was called a bema when Olympic athletes would win their medals. They stood on a platform on a bema. But the third and the most common use, and this is what Paul had in mind as he writes, was a judge's bench. It's a judicial term. We really have the same in our culture. If you go into a courtroom, 
the judge's bar or the judge's bench or the judge's seat is what? Elevated. And then you have the docket where the defense would be or whatever. So here, Paul is speaking of us standing before the judicial, before the judgment seat, the bema judgment seat of Christ. Now again, who is at this place? Only believers. There's no unbelievers here. I'll show you that in a moment. Here it is New Testament, church age, grace saved, blood bought believers. All right? Now why is it called the bema of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ? Because Christ is the ultimate judge. John chapter 5, verse 22. Scripture says, Jesus says, not even the, the Father doesn't judge anyone, but has given all judgment to the Son. Isn't that fascinating? I remember some years ago, this was probably back in 2006, an elderly man came into our lobby one day and it was in the work, work week and no one was here except myself and I was in my office and an older man come in and wanted to talk to the pastor and you know I was so young he was shocked at how young I was but he wanted to talk religion I want to talk Jesus and you know what that old man said to me it was more than a decade ago I don't know if he's still living today he said I have no problem with God but I got a big problem with Jesus Christ. Well, sir, you got a mighty big problem. Because God has given all judgment to his son, John 5, 22. It is Jesus Christ that men, great and small, saved and unsaved, will appear before Jesus Christ. Now, so where are we? We've learned so far, we, meaning all believers, must, it's mandatory, appear. Nothing will be hidden. Everything will be exposed. Every motive will appear before the bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Christ is the judge. Now, let's answer this. When does this take place? Oh, I'm glad you asked. This happens at the coming of Christ. If you will, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Now, we're in 2 Corinthians, but note what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. You know, it's interesting. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church two letters, and in the two letters, he mentions the judgment seat four times. Do you know why? Because the Corinthian church was so carnal. Nothing will sober a Christian up faster than realizing we must stand before the Lord. This is a message our, our culture needs today, amen? So notice what he says. Paul says, don't judge one another. Reserve judgment for that day. What day? The coming of the Lord. When will the judgment seat happen for believers? Now watch this. Oh, oh I'm, I'm getting into some fun stuff right here. Are you, say amen if you're with me right now. I don't want you to miss this, okay? When does it happen? At the coming of the Lord. The rapture, the, the harpazo. That's the biblical word for it. The harpazo, the catching up, the coming, the coming of Jesus, the rapturing of the church. Now, watch this. This is so beautiful. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 3. 
Do you know that the church is mentioned 20 times in the book of Revelation? And this summer, beginning June 7th, I'm going to take us through Revelation 1 through 3. And we're going to do a detailed breakdown. I'm going to teach you everything I know about the seven churches of Revelation. And I want you to hear this. 20 times, 20 times the church is mentioned. It's mentioned 19 times in chapters 1 through 3. You know how many times it's mentioned in the rest of the book? One time, all the way at the end. After everything's done and wrapped up. After the seven-year tribulation is over. So that leaves a massive question. Where is the church? You want me to answer it for you biblically? Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5. There is a multitude around the throne of God, a number which cannot be numbered. And do you know, what, do you know who that multitude is? <laughs> Are you ready for this? <laughs> They're singing worship songs unto the Lord, singing about the blood of the Lamb. Old Testament saints cannot sing about the blood of Jesus. Angels who cannot be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb cannot sing of the blood. Do you know who's singing of the blood? The church. She is clothed in fine linen. Hallelujah. Do you know who's clothed in fine linen in heaven? Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. Read it for yourself. And it was given to her, the bride of Christ, that she should adorn herself in the finest of white linen. And you know what verse 8 says the white linen is? The white linen is the righteous deeds done by the saints upon the earth. You know what that means? How you live down here determines how well you're dressed up there. Amen? Amen? They are singing worship to the Lord. They are clothed in white. And listen, here's the beautiful part. And they're crowned. Hallelujah. Do you realize that we, there are five crowns in the scriptures that you and I can win? Five crowns that we will present to Jesus Christ if you've lived a worthy life. So what has happened? The church, after Revelation chapter 3, there's no more mention of her. Why? Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, harpazo, there is the catching up. There is the rapture of the church. And what happens after the rapture? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. What happens? The coming of the Lord results in the Bema judgment seat of Christ. For Revelation says when the Lord comes, he comes with rewards in his hands. And what are those rewards? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's the crowns with which we'll win. Jesus says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us that every believer will have fire set to their life. And our life's work will either be hay, wood, stubble, or it will be gold, silver, and precious stones. And the believers who lived careless, the believers who lived worthless spiritual lives, all they'll have is just ashes. Because the works of their life were not valuable. They were just, hey, wood stubble. Those who lived for the next promotion. Those who lived for the next vacation. Those who lived for the next home. They lived for retirement. They lived for the nest egg. They lived for what they could accumulate. Friends, it will all go up in smoke. But those who took God's word serious, those who suffered trials and they endured. Those who really walked with God, gold, silver, 
precious stone. And we will be able to present to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what the rewards that we won on this earth. Amen? When does it happen? It happens at the coming of the Lord. So while the earth is in great judgment and tribulation, the church age believers are around the throne of God, around the judgment seat of Christ. And friends, it's not a thing to fear. See, what the judgment seat is about, it's not about salvation. You need to make sure you understand. It's not to see who's saved, because it's only saved people there. And it's not about salvation. It's about rewards. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Store up, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What's he talking about? He's talking about that gold, that silver, those precious stones, those crowns that you can win as a believer. How do you win them? You take all that God's given you and you invest it in the kingdom of God. You take your skills, you take your knowledge, you take your health, you take your abilities, you take all that God has put into your hands and you use it to the glory of God. Amen? Now, he says, for each one will receive what is due. He's speaking of rewards. Now again, you cannot earn salvation, but you can earn rewards. The work that Jesus Christ did on the cross secured our salvation. But it's the work that we as believers do on the earth that brings rewards in heaven. Don't don't get that confused. We're not working for salvation. We're working because of salvation. Now, Now, Paul says, for what each has done in the body, whether that's good or bad, the word bad here is very interesting. In the Greek, it's phallos. Phallos. And do you know what the meaning of phallos is? The meaning is worthless. So do you see what Jesus is teaching us through his word? He's saying, do you want to live a valuable life? That's going to have value in heaven? Or do you want to live a worthless life? That everything you cared about and everything you worked for and everything you lived for and everything you thought was important goes up in smoke. No. I want to live a valuable life. I want to stand one day before the Lord Jesus Christ and I want him to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in into the joy of the Lord. Amen? How's your life going to turn out? What's your eternity hold? What's it go- How well are you going to be dressed in heaven? Because the Bible doesn't make it a secret. Revelation 19.8 The fine linen with which you'll be dressed with are the righteous deeds you do on this earth. Do you live like Jonathan Edwards? Is eternity stamped on your eye? Do you view the decisions of your life based on eternity? Do you view the decisions of your life based on the judgment seat of Christ? You should. And I hope today that you'll take a fresh look at this and you'll inventory your life. You'll assess your life and you'll see, you'll ask, am I bringing ultimate glory to God? Now, let me end with this. I've referenced it so many times, 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, but there's so much in that verse. 
But notice what the last phrase of verse 5 says. The Lord himself will give a praise. He'll give a commendation. Each one will receive a commendation from the Lord. Or some translations say a praise from the Lord. You know, even those believers who they lived careless, they didn't invest themselves in the kingdom of God. They lived for this world. Even those believers who their life will just go up in smoke, even those the Lord will find something good to say about. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that good to know? Friends, the Bema judgment seat is nothing for you to fear, but yet it is a great warning and it is a great encouragement. What will you have to present to the Lord Jesus Christ on that day. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I want to pray for every person listening today, whether in the building or online, that you will prepare us for that day. For that day is coming. Lord, help us to see perhaps areas of our life that we're living for this world that you would say, No, turn your eyes upon Christ. Perhaps there's things that we're so focused on that is taking all of our energy. It's taking all of our thought life. It's taking all of our work. Show us those things, Lord. Perhaps today there are people listening that they give very little thought to their eternity or very little thought to the day that they'll stand and give account. God, will you help them? Help us. Help us, Lord. For just a moment, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Assess your life. What is it that's in your hands right now that you wouldn't want it to be in your hands if Jesus were to return? What is it that you're dabbling in that you would be ashamed if Jesus were to return today? And you know, I can't help but the Holy Spirit's telling me there are children in this auditorium. God has a call on your life. Give your life now to the Lord. Don't wait till you grow up. Do it now. Surrender your life now to the service of God. And let God use you now, not later, now. Hallelujah. 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 You know, maybe some of you are stressed out because it's the things of this world that are stressing you. Hey, listen, eternity's coming. Don't worry about it. Quit worrying. Eternity's coming. And you know, if the Lord doesn't return for another thousand years, well, guess what? You and I are one day closer to eternity. Are you living for eternity? Or are you living for this life? This life will soon be past. What is done for Christ 
is all that will last. Jesus will never ask you the square footage of your home. He'll never ask you what model car you drove. Jesus will never care what your closets look like. He won't care what college your kid goes to. He won't care what your position or your title at work was. He won't care if you get that vacation home. And he certainly isn't impressed with what your retirement account holds. You know, someone asked one time, why are are the streets of heaven paved with gold? You know why? Because God takes the most valuable thing on this earth and makes it the least valuable thing in heaven. God doesn't care about your gold. God cares about your soul. He cares about the skills he's given you. He cares about the resources he's put into your hands. Will you surrender all of that to the Lord today and say, God, I'm tired of living for today. I'm tired of living for this. Listen, God, I live for tomorrow. I'm not even promised tomorrow. I'm going to give you everything, lock, stock, and barrel. I'm not going to live for this life anymore. I'm not going to live for me anymore. I'm going to prepare today. I'm going to begin to live a life prepared for eternity. Friends, the Bible tells us how. When you and I stand before the Lord, it should be no shock to us because the Bible tells us what to expect. Are you prepared? Are you ready? You know, when I used to travel to Egypt, obviously there were many things that were a a great surprise, a pleasant surprise. But listen, when I went to the pyramids and, and I did all that stuff that, you know, you do in Egypt, when I went down the Nile River and all that stuff, listen, it wasn't no surprise. I had Googled it. I had researched it. I looked it up. I knew what to expect. Listen, Scripture tells us exactly what's coming. Will you be ready for that day? You can be. Lord Jesus, today we surrender and we give you everything. And we thank you, God, that you spell these things out for us to teach us how we ought to live. Let us live righteous lives. I pray a blessing, Lord, on every person here today. Bless our families. Bless our little ones. Bless our careers. Bless what we put our hands to. But God, don't let us live for it. Don't let it be where all of our true investments are. No. Let what we really invest in, ourselves, let that be the kingdom of God. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.